When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offence to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook. Take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ralph. Very good resounding thanks be to God, right? It's not just any book of literature. I just said that British literature. It's not any book of literature that we're reading. It's God's word, right? Infallible, inerrant, perfect. So um, it's interesting. What a peculiar, I mean, am I the only one that finds that story a bit peculiar? Matthew's the only one that records it. Mark doesn't record it. Luke doesn't record it. Um, I mean, you've I suppose it's a bit fitting for Matthew to document this given his former occupation. Remember what Matthew, what he did? That's right, he's a tax collector. So, you know, accountants, birds of a feather flock together. Who knows? He just likes talking about, don't, yeah, it's interesting though. I think there's more going on. Um, some people look at this story though throughout history and, and even today and they think it's, they believe it's rather fishy pardon the pun, after all, after all, there's heaps of folklore out there about people losing a piece of jewelry in a lake or an ocean, only discover it later by some miraculous catch of a fish. There were even Greek myths during this period that resemble this story in Matthew. Take, for example, the character Polycrates. What does he do? He takes his ring his precious ring, and he throws it into the sea to appease fate. But a week later, his ring comes back to him while eating dinner inside a fish. He's about to chow down on some fish and, oh, there's my ring. There's also peculiar stories, folklores, and even post-resurrection time of St. Francis, Francis of Assisi as he would preach near a lake, the fish would, you know, put their heads above water to hear him talk, right? So is that, is that, is that what's going on here a bit? Is this, I mean, is this just folklore, simple, and Matthew's just kind of pinched it a bit and kind of put it a Jesus spin on it? Is that, is that, is that what's going on here? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I believe that Jesus, uh, yes, there's a miracle that happens, but really what we're meant to see, I think, is this, this theme of sonship and freedom. Sonship and freedom. Because we can get hooked by the fish story and miss, I think, um, a, a real major theme that reveals the identity of who Jesus is as the divine son. So that's really the takeaway for today is this, this idea of sonship, and then this idea of freedom. So 
I know some of you like my outlines because I begin the same, right? I do, you know, the, the D's or the P's or whatever. And I said, scrap it because people have been giving me a hard time. So we're going to do, we're going to, that's, which is, I guess, a way to encourage people here, right? So, so we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do an illustration to outline our sermon. Imagine you're on a plane. I know it's hard to believe. I know the airport was packed the other day. But imagine you're on a plane. And when you're on a plane, you're at ground level, right? You can look out the window. You know, ground's there. You're not really going anywhere. Not yet. But then you start to take off, right? And then all of a sudden, you're at 5,000 feet. And then whatever it is, you know, 50,000 feet or, or whatever, right? And the, and the pilot will often say, we're turning into, you know, 55,000 feet, and if you can look out the right side of your window, you can see the opera house or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, now we get to 50,000 feet. So what I want to do in today's text is, is kind of like sitting in a plane and taking off. First, we'll be at that ground level. And that's when Jesus, this, this whole idea of the temple tax, like what's that about? So that's our ground level, okay? Then when we get up to about 5,000 feet, we're going to look at this, this theme of sonship and freedom. And finally, when we get to 50,000 feet, we're going to say, okay, well, what does this mean for us? Does this mean we're not supposed to pay our taxes? <laughs> right? After all, the sun is, it says the sons are free, Right? It's interesting, in church history, there's the Anabaptists who use that as a proof text of why they didn't pay tax. I think they were wrong. So but what, how, how does that work for us, living in the 21st century in 2022 in Australia? What, 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 is the, what are we supposed to take away from this? And that's at our 50,000 feet level. Okay? So ground level, 5,000, 50,000. Make sense? That's, that's, that's where we're headed. If, you, if you're like, I'm, pff, I'm pretty cross that he didn't do his peas, then you can say the payment, okay, the parable, and the provision. How about that? Does that, does, you know, if, if you're just, if you really want to stick with those, you can stick with those, okay? All right. Ground level, 55,000, 50,000. Let's, let's get into this and, and uh, see what the Lord does in our hearts, all right? Father, we, we pray that as, as we open up your word, Lord, we, we ask for concentration now as there's just bottom line distractions of humming outside and our own sinful hearts are prone to think about a hundred other things that we could be doing besides sitting here right now. So Lord, we, we pray by your spirit, you would uh, pierce our hearts, shape us as, as your children. We pray that you would grow us in Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so... We're in the plane. Let's start with the ground level. Um, what is this tax? When we hear, when you're reading the Bible and you, and, you, and you think about taxes being collected, you, you, you probably think about the dreaded Roman tax. Remember, Matthew was a sellout to his own people, right? He was collecting taxes for the Romans. Now, keep in mind, if you are a Jew, the land has been promised to you, right? It, the land is everything. And then one day these horrible, pagan, no good Romans show up and you hate their guts. And you're actually waiting for the Messiah to come and whoop these guys and get them out of the land. But for now, guess what? 
The Roman tax means you have to not only, you're not only, you know, waiting on the Messiah and you're actually waiting for him to boot them out, you're actually taking your hard-earned money and handing it over to the enemy. To put that in perspective. Th- this tax was viewed by the Jews as seditious, right? But that's not the tax we're looking at here in Matthew 17, actually. Um, this was a tax for the Jews for the temple. Every male from the ages of 20 to 50 were expected to pay this in order to help finance uh, the sacrifices made in the temple. So picture if you were Jewish, you didn't think twice about paying this. This was your patriotic duty. And, And it has its roots going all the way back to the Exodus. Initially, when this tax was collected, it was given to the tabernacle, and then that transferred over to the temple. So, like any good Jewish boy from the ages of 20 to 50, you didn't think twice to pay it. There were some religious um, sort of schismatic groups, that, some sort of offshoots, if you want to say, called the Qumran community. They only, how convenient, they decided amongst their rules, amongst themselves, they're only going to do a one-off and pay it once in their life. So, you know, smart, I guess, but, or not. But so, you know, so the priests were exempt, but, but for the most part, most people, most people paid this, and they didn't whinge about it, right? They, they, they didn't think twice about it. So how it worked was the month leading up to Passover, a number of delegates would be sent throughout Palestine to collect this tax. Then they'd bring the funds back to Jerusalem so that sacrifices could be made on behalf of the nation. So, so again, Think of that there. It's, it's a tax. It's not just sort of giving money for money's sake, but it's actually to make an atonement for their sin, you see? The, the, the money itself isn't doing that, but it's, it's providing the funds to keep the temple going, to keep the priesthood, uh, you know, operating, so to speak. That's what's happening on the ground in today's passage. The, these same delegates come to Peter maybe to his house because tolls were typically collected in or, or nearby a person's place of residence and they approach Peter, if you look in verse 24 of your Bible there of Matthew 17, they approach Peter and, and what do they ask him? What do they ask him? They said, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, there they are, they're in Capernaum, here comes these delegates. You can't, don't you wish you could hear their tone of voice and see their facial expressions? I do, right? I mean, it could have been polite, you know, pardon me, excuse me. They could have sounded like they were from Cambridge or something, you know. Does your teacher not pay the tax, right? Could have been nice. Could have been more, a little bit more bogan, right? Could have been more hostile, like, well, what, doesn't your teacher pay the tax or not? We don't, we don't know. We don't know what their facial expression looked like. We don't know if they were scowling, if they looked suspicious. What we do know, the reality is they're still asking for it, which implies Jesus hasn't paid it yet. So maybe, maybe here the question behind the question is, is your teacher pro-temple or anti-temple. Remember, Jesus has quite a reputation for saying negative things about the temple. Stuff like, 
oh, I don't know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now we know that he was referring to his body, but when Jesus first uttered that phrase, that would have just been, you know, caused a lot of people to bow their backs. That would have raised a lot of eyebrows. Like what did that, what did he just say? So destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it. Again, for those, the original audience, when they heard that, that could sound to them like I'm anti-temple, right? So these delegates come to him and say, okay, we'll do a little test here, Jesus, to see whether you are supportive of the temple or not. And then in verse 25, so they say, you know, does your teacher, they approach Peter. Now, it could be Matthew is drawing prominence to Peter. Remember, Peter's been quite prominent throughout 16 and, and 17 and so on. Or just, again, it could be that this is Peter's house there in Capernaum. But they approach him, nevertheless, and they say, so does, does your teacher pay the temple tax or not? And, and Peter, right, he doesn't, he doesn't, he didn't even bother asking Jesus, like, hold, hold, hold on, let me run back in the house or let me go find him. He just, you know, shoots from the hip. Yep, of course he does, right? Jesus always paid his taxes, so of course. I'll, I'll give you just a quick answer to that. Yep. But I want you to know something in verse 25. When Peter comes back into the house, Jesus turned this little incident into a teaching moment. Check out what I mean in verse 25. He says, he said yes, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Very interesting little parable that he gives here. Picture a king over a kingdom. He has a family, he has children and a wife, and he needs money to support his palace, his government, the roads, the army, etc. Does he tax his own kids? Or does he tax the citizens? Uh, think about it. Let's pretend you're a king. In the ancient world, you're a king and you have sons. Do you tax your kids or do you tax everyone else? Do you tax the royal family? No. You, you, you tax everyone else, right? <laughs> it's a no-brainer. I mean, what king would say, oh, we need to increase the treasury. We need more funds. Go call Junior up here and take his allowance. No, no, they increase taxes on the people. The last thing you want to do is tax your own son. You're building him a dynasty. You're not going to tax him. You're, you're going to tax others. So they will give income and the dynasty will be built. Does that make sense? But how does this relate to Jesus then in the temple, in the temple tax? Well, are you ready to climb 5,000 feet now? Here we go. Jesus switches, notice here in the next verse, he switches his discussion from a secular analogy to a spiritual one. Notice the comparison. As it is with kings and their sons, so it is with God and his children. Come to verse 25 again. Now, we're going to gain some altitude here, so your ears might pop. Get ready. He said, yes, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Now, there's the multiple choice question. Is it A, their 
sons or B, the strangers, sojourners, or other people? Multiple choice, Peter answers B, which is correct, okay? But then notice, and he, then he said, from others. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons are free. Okay. Interesting passage, isn't it? Interesting little phrase. Again, Matthew's the only one that, that documents this. Now, remember, I'm taking you from ground level to 5,000 feet. So let's pull up a bit here. Remember when Dan preached a few weeks ago? It was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happened there? A voice, God the Father, declares Jesus to be his unique son, right? This is my son. Listen to him. Or let's keep pulling up higher, pulling up higher. Remember back in chapter 16, let's go further back. Who do people say that I am? Remember that, Caesarea Philippi? You know, I read a liberal commentator. I forgot to mention this. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? He just wasn't sure. Like, he's like, hey, hey, who, who do people say that I, who do see people say that I am? Oh, oh, well, that sounds cool. I guess, I guess I'm the Christ. You know, what ridiculous, right? So, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And, G and what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus has a special status as divine son in relation to God the Father. Okay, let's climb even higher so that we can look way further, way back into Matthew. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and a voice declares from heaven, this is my son. This sonship theme has gone all throughout Matthew. So whose father is Jesus' father? God himself. So who then, keep tracking with me, whose house is the temple? Who is the king of the temple? It's God's house, right? It's God's temple. And this gets right down to the identity of Christ. Again, let's, let's climb up a little bit in case we missed it. Let's climb up a little, look out your window here. In chapter 12, what does Jesus say about the temple? He says, somebody greater than the temple is here. Or, let's even go we're about to get to 50,000 feet. Our last thing I want you to see on your left, out your window, is the very first verse in Matthew that says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you see this sonship theme? Jesus is the divine son. And those, listen, those who attach themselves to him by faith are the true sons of of God. Isn't that why John the Baptist, isn't that why John the Baptist, when he's there and he's, he's baptizing people into a baptism of repentance and faith, right? And, and he says, there's, there's just stacks of Jewish people that come out. Can you guys concentrate with that hum? Is everybody okay? 
I know I'm so compelling that it's just you can't even hear the hum, right? So um, now that I brought your attention to it, now you're going to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Rob. Well done. Yeah. Right? John the Baptist. Stacks of people are coming out to hear him. And there are some quite snarky people or, uh, I don't know, snooty people that they don't want to get baptized. Right? And why? Why don't they want to get baptized? Because they say, oh, well, we have Abraham as our father. We can lean on our, our lineage. And was John the Baptist say, oh, yeah, totally. That's cool. After all, you're Jewish, right? I mean, you know, John the Baptist is Jewish. But no, no, no. Listen, don't, don't presume to say to yourself that you have Abraham as your father. God can, God can scrap this whole thing and raise up children out of these stones, you see. He's drawing a line, a dividing line there. The true Israel, those who are attaching themselves to the coming Messiah, the restored Israel. It's amazing. See, Jesus is the divine son and those who attach themselves to him by faith are the true sons of God. Now, here's what's interesting. Who are these sons that are free? Well, it's both Jesus and it's the disciples, right? And it's his followers throughout history. But Jesus says something astonishing here. And this is where we're going to climb up to our last height. He says, the sons are free, but pay it anyway. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I find that absolutely amazing. And, and I, I guess the Anabaptists didn't have that little bit in their Bibles. I, I don't know what's going on. Not the Baptist, by the way. Anabaptists. Two different things. And if you come to church history, plugged in, you will learn about that. So, the sons are free, but pay it anyway. So Jesus is the son of the king and the lord of the temple. So he's not obligated to pay the tax. Yet he chooses to do so, but why? Why? He's not obligated, right? But verse 27 gives us a clue. However, right? So right after he says the sons are free, however, not to put a stumbling block is the term, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, I'm not a great, I can do spear fishing okay. I'm a lousy, I don't even know how to cast a line. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bad, but I know this much. You usually need bait. It usually takes a lot of time. You don't usually just run down and catch a fish unless there's like a, you know, a frenzy of fish. And I do know that when you catch a fish, you typically, a fish doesn't come with funds, right? So this is, this is a unique miracle, but it's interesting here. Consider what had to take place for this miracle to occur. Jesus ordained that somebody would drop a shekel into the water, that a fish would scoop it up in its mouth, but not swallow it, all the way at least, that the fish would swim over to a hook and that, would, and that Peter would catch that fish. <laughs> All of this happened so that a temple tax could be paid in order not to bring unnecessary offense. Amazing. And that's what he says. 
so that we don't put a stumbling block in front of people. Two points of application. And this is where you need to do some soul searching, friend. Are you putting an unnecessary stumbling block in someone's way? Do you know what I mean by that? Is there an area of your life that for the greater good of the gospel you can let go of so that a brother or sister may be encouraged or so that the gospel may be spread? Again, I can come up with an example, example after example, but I just, just think about that in your life. I mean, if Jesus goes all this roundabout way, provides a miracle, the whole sole purpose so that he doesn't put a stumbling block, doesn't cause an offense, well, what are we doing? How are, how are we sacrificing our rights, so to speak? Does that, does that make sense? So that we're not causing an offense, someone to stumble. We're not getting in somebody's way. That's the first thing. Again, you might need to think about that. You might need to, remember I said in the beginning of the service, hey, talk to people afterwards about the sermon. You might want to just tease that out and, and say, you know, I think what he means is this. And, and for me, I'm pretty sure I, I kind of, I need to actually die to my own prefer- preferences here, right? Does that make sense? I have a preference for this. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to get upset about it. Well, are you willing to actually let those things go and so, so as not to cause an offense. And then the second thing is, I, th- I do think there's a principle, and this is why I think in history those people that I mentioned were wrong. Well, the sons are free. I, 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 Jesus still pays the tax. <laughs> it's like, and, and look, how easy is it? Oh, can, I, can, I, can I just talk? Can I, can I, can I just talk to you guys? Just, just you know, in, in-house stuff. I've even had people in this church say, oh, look, when you claim your taxes, you know, most people say that they drive this far, but we all know, you know, you're not going to drive that far. And it's tempting, isn't it, when you can just fudge it a little bit because you get a little bit more return. You can cheat on your taxes. It's quite easy. In fact, I've heard it's quite common here. But listen, it's lying. You're lying. Oh, the government doesn't care. They don't deserve it. You know, that's irrelevant. That, that's, you know, always, they don't deserve my money. That's irrelevant. You're a citizen here. Think Romans 13, Romans 14. If you're cheating on your taxes, friend, you are lying. It's not, it's not just like, ah, yeah, whatever. It's just a little bit. I mean, do you, do you want your life marked by, by lies? Is, is that what Christ? I mean, think Jesus. And... Again, it may not be as simple as why I know, because I know that some of you are doing it tough, especially post-COVID, but d- does that, is that really trusting in the Lord? I mean, the Lord's the one who provides this miracle. Doesn't mean that you're going to head to Brisbane Waters after this and open a fish and, you know, there's going to be a $50 note in there or something like that. But it does, it does show the Lord's provision. I mean, if the same Jesus who can walk on water can calm the storm, is sovereign over all elements, can tell the fish, here, there, go there, Peter, go there, cast the hook, there's the coins, pay it for me, pay it for you. That same Jesus still rules, still reigns, is sovereign over your life and every single bit of it. 
You see? So, so do you trust him? I know, I know it's easy to catastrophize and say, well, yeah, but look, you don't understand my situation, Rob. If I just fudge it just a little bit here, I can get a little bit more money, and then I can give more money to the church or to missions. Or it, you, you can justify, I think. Or, or if I don't, I can't feed my family or whatever. Just trust the Lord. He wants you to honor him in the way in which you submit to the governing authorities here in this land by paying your tax. And, and I just, I can't stress that enough. I think that is just so clear in Scripture. Again, I think Jesus actually doesn't, I'd be reading this backwards to, to see it as we don't have responsibilities in the here and the now. Do you know what I mean? The sons are free, so don't pay your tax. That, that would just, I, I don't see how that even correlates with verse 27. We pay our taxes not because we agree with everything the government does, but because we're under law to do so. I'll never forget when I was a kid and I wasn't a Christian and I don't know if you guys did this here in Australia but they used to do these little uh, maybe they do it with like the cash cow or whatever. You know, if you sign up for it then the cash cow calls you and says congratulations, you know, you won $20,000 but growing up in California they used to actually show up at someone's house, right? And stick a microphone in their face. Congratulations, you know, you won $50,000 or whatever. And I was just I don't know, I was bored one day with my friends, so we took a video camera, and we, like someone's going to fall for it, right? That's just dumb. But, but we were showing up at people's homes saying, congratulations, you won 50,000. Like, get a life, kids, go do something, read a book, right? Um, and, and so there I was, and showing up, and I just remember showing up at this one guy's house, and he was this guy from Texas, and, and he's just all the caricatures of Tex, Texan you imagine, right? And, and he has big, big belt buckle and all that stuff, and and, and I go, congratulations, you just won $50,000. And he goes, Revelation 21.8. And I go, Revel what? And he goes, Revelation 21.8. Liars go to hell. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, dude, no. Like, I've got so many words, for, you know, it's like, and I won't repeat what I said. But it actually stuck with me later because I thought, I, w- I wasn't going to church. I wasn't a, I, wasn't my, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. You, a lot of you heard that, right? But I thought, oh, what if there is a real place that he described? And I guess my life is marked by lying in a lot of ways. And so I don't say this to like, you know, hit you with the text in Revelation 21.8, but look, friend, if Jesus said so that we don't cause offense, go ahead and pay the tax anyway, and you're cheating on your taxes, Revelation 21.8, seriously. I mean, it's just, it's just straight up lying. You see how, see how big of a deal this is? I hope you can feel the weight of it. Um, and I think, honestly, if we're going to be a compelling community, I mean, can you imagine if everyone around you, all your friends who aren't Christians and your family members, and you go, oh yeah, well, I don't, I don't cheat on my taxes because, you know, the Lord tells me to honor the government, and da, da, da. People, they, people look at you a bit sideways, like you're a bit, you're a bit bonkers. But, but they would look at you and say, this, this guy, this gal's different. So you, you, you do it to the glory of God, whether you eat, drink, pay your taxes, do it all to the glory of God, you see? So the sons are free. But pay it anyway. The sons are free, but don't put an unnecessary fence to someone. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for just the complexities of your word and even passages like this, Lord, that are, are, 
at first might seem obscure, and yet we realize just how at home they can sit with us and how relevant they are to our lives. We praise you, Lord, that we are not saved because we pay taxes. We are not saved because we try not to cause us to stumble. We are saved because we are blood-bought children who trust in you. We are sons of the King through faith in Christ. Lord, we pray if there's any here now that have yet to turn to you in repentance and faith, would you grant them that now? For your glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So if you're here and you are sons